Before we begin, let's, uh, let's just pray and ask the Lord to help us. Heavenly Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for blessing us. Thank you for being good to us. Thank you for just sustaining us and being kind to us. Father, even thinking about this chapter, um, as Jesus is... Um, Father, as we think about His emotions and how that affects us and, and how He feels for us with a perfect, perfect um, love, perfect compassion, perfect uh, just pity upon us as we come to Him. Father, we're grateful. Um, pray that you would help us this morning as, as we talk about these things and as we think, as we be together and as we take the Lord's Supper a little bit later and as we, we sing together and as we pray together and as we hear the Word together. Father, we, we do not take this for granted. Um, so many Christians in the world cannot do this in the same manner. Um, but we know they are doing it and they are faithful and the gates of hell will not prevail against your church. Your promise to save a people from before the foundations of the world and to complete what you began in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, Father, it's the best news ever. And uh, so, Father, we, we give thanks today. And I pray that you'd help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Chapter 11. This is my assignment this week. The topic is the emotional life of Christ. So let me ask, has anybody ever really thought about the emotional life of Christ? Just Christ being as, as, a, as a man, as a human, taking on flesh. <clears throat> anybody ever you just thought about that before? Just curious. Any, I mean, I don't, it's not, Greg's thought about it a little bit before. <laughs> Tell me how, I mean, what, before reading this chapter, what, I mean. Well, I mean, how he felt, how he felt emotionally during trouble times. <clears throat> Happy times. You know, I, I think about Jesus a lot. Well, I think that, um, you know, we, we all do at some point or another, but I think for me personally, I think about my own thoughts about who Christ is, I his deity tend to overshadow his humanity often and just with me. It may not be the case with you. And it seems like preaching through Hebrews, you get both, but boy, you get his humanity so much after the first two chapters. It's just like, wow, what a high priest that, that we have. Um, but some people think that Christ, after he, he died and he rose again, he appeared there for those days and then he ascended to heaven. We kind of forget what it what we just think, wow, he's now he's going back to heaven, and we forget about his humanity. And has anybody here here ever heard or thought maybe he's given up his humanity now? Kristen and I were having this conversation yesterday. What did you say, Kristen, when you thought about this before reading the chapter? Hmm. Um, I picked up just to give some supplemental reading on this. I read for about an hour, hour and a half last night, just on 
John Owen's The Glory of Christ, where he talks about not so much the emotions of Christ, but over and over he says, the same body with which he was born, conceived by the Holy Spirit, but born of the Virgin, grew up, lived and died. Now in the glorified body he has, that is the exact same body that he is now representing us as our high priest and our advocate in heaven forever. Now, there's a mystery there because at some point, when everything comes to an end, as far as the plan, when Jesus comes back, He says, I will turn all these things over to the Father. There's mystery there, but I, I believe the, the Scriptures are, are clear on this, that He will represent us in that same body, glorified body, which, by the way, we will also have that same kind of body one day, but forever. Christ is human at the right hand of God. And this will never end. And He will not revert back to what He was before. And so all of the blessings of God come down to us. You think about Adam. Adam was supposed to fulfill his task and then he sinned. He didn't. There had to be a man. Paul talks about that a lot in the New Testament. And so in the same way, Christ fulfilled it. But now, He has passed where? Through the heavens. And I often think about that. You know, even if Adam would not have sinned, we, we often think about such things. But Adam, even as a man, then could not have led us to where Christ can lead us past through the heavens. And so there's so much more there. But So, implication from the book that he brings out. First implication. The same feelings and passions and affections we see in the Gospels are the same for us today as he felt when he walked and he touched and he talked and he healed and all the things he did and the way he felt towards both you know those who came to him those who trusted him and those who opposed him those same thoughts those same feelings are still going on today and so and I'm just going to like say summarize and keep working through this chapter. And I'll, I'll keep giving some questions. But the next part, he, he, he moves on to after introducing it. He says that basically emotions are essential to us. Some of us are, we think we are more emotional than others. And that's, that's certainly the case. I guess the way it works its way out. Some of us are really emotional. Some of us are not so emotional. But, you know, we, we all feel and we all have emotions in the same way, but we express them differently. But still, we all have emotions. And, but the question he gives is, what is the difference between us and Jesus when it comes to our emotions and how we feel? It's kind of a softball question there, guys. Let's hit it. It wasn't ruled by his emotions. Why was he not ruled by his emotions? Because he's perfect. Right? Um, but as a man, he was without sin. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Um, and he was without sin. Um, we are with sin. We are sinners. And so... <clears throat> We are very different. We're going to get into that a little bit. But Jesus experienced the full range of emotions that we experience that. And, and so, um, at the next section of the, of the book, though, he, here's, if I were given a test today, 
What author did he bring out as someone he looked to who wrote on this topic in, in uh, a bit more than most folks? You might remember. I'll give you a little test. Warfield. Warfield. I don't even I don't even know the it's BB Warfield. Anybody know his first name, second name? BB Benjamin. Um, but he wrote upon he wrote about this, and I tried to find the the article and I couldn't find it um, because Josiah I lost his password to get into the scholarly stuff from the libraries and didn't pursue that. But uh, I would love to see that article. But what does it look like um, to be one who is emotional, but yet be without sin. Does anybody remember what the book, how the book describes that? <clears throat> he says that it is an inner life of perfect balance, proportion, and control, which is kind of what Larry said. You know, complete control over his emotions. Also. <clears throat> Every emotion that he showed, and, and, and the two examples he gives are what? Do you remember? In the book. Compassion and anger. We'll come to those. But in all the emotions that Jesus showed, they were always complete and to the... I, I have a hard way of describing it. And to the fullest right in every way. Um, they, he, he, his emotions went to the deepest as they could possibly go in anger or in compassion as God without, as a man, but without sin. And, and so, they were completely controlled, John. What now? They were completely controlled. Yeah, that's part of his... If we think about our relationship with our children... <laughs> Our children makes us angry, and they do. We lash out at our kid, and we lash out at the other kid who didn't do anything. We lash out at our wife, but Christ didn't. He went into the temple. He cleared the temple. He he took in a whip, and he whipped those that needed to be whipped. Mm -hmm. And then he turned around two verses later and started healing the sick. It, it's wrath under control. His joy was under control. It was complete, under control, and that's the one thing that we as fallen humans struggle with, mm -hmm. is the control of our Yeah, and he's, and, and I'm getting ready to give us a lot of examples of that, but anybody else want to comment on that? I couldn't help but laugh. It's one of those things where you're screaming at your child, or, or disciplining, or mad, or whatever, and then the phone rings, hello, how are you? And the whole demeanor changes, and it's like, that's not the Lord at all. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. I think uh, the danger is that we can define Jesus in his emotions based on us and how we react in our emotions. And mm -hmm. so it's so good to be defined of how he responds and never. Well, there's a lot of applications from this that the, the, all, he, he honestly, very, very little application in, in this. Um, to us, like like we pointed out yesterday, when it comes to anger and compassion, um, but there are a lot of applications to that. But yeah, not in this chapter. Um, and so let's let's keep getting through this. Two emotions again. What are they that he outlines? Now we could talk about a lot of other emotions, but he just picks up two to give us an example, and they're good the way they 
the way they work together. What are they? Compassion and anger. So let's be, begin for a moment with compassion. According to Warfield, this is the one that we see the most in the Gospels. Um, personally, I, I think this is probably um, what we see the most when we consider just the uh, just who God is and what He does in this world of sinners. Um, I believe this flows from the fact that God is love. Because if you go back to the garden and you see the sin of Adam and of Eve, what motivated God to then not just do what was right and just, that's it. You've punished. You, that's it. I mean, what, what, is it, what does the Scripture say about that? Help me out here. God said, love the world. So there's something there about his love, which, you know, in the Hebrew, the, um, the word chesed is, is mercy, compassion, loves. It's a huge meaning in that, in that word. And so, he's long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Um, can anyone think of a verse that speaks of the compassion of God in, in general? Some of you are going back to the Old Testament. Who's going back to the Old Testament? Their mind is running over the verse is. All right, Larry, if you got your Bible, look up Exodus 33, 18 and 19. It's probably recorded in a few places because this is one of the most, the, the verses that Larry's getting ready to read. Um, this is one of the, 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 those moments. I think this one, my particular one, is when I think that God was... Moses said, show me your glory. And he said, well, I will let you see my glory and I'll hide your face. I'll hide my face before you. I'm going to pass by. Um, but anyway, read verses 18 and 19, Larry. 18 and 19. I think we're, we're right here. We're not we're yeah, in the same place. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. So... Mercy, grace, compassion, pity, often translated, those two words are translated like that when you get to the Greek because they're all in, in those. And so you might have, you might see grace, and you might see mercy, it depends on the translator. And so all that is wrapped up there um, in God showing himself to Moses. Um, someone else, look up Romans 9, verses 14 and 15. This one is basically Paul taking from Exodus 33. And the word is, I think, somewhat maybe he's translated compassion. And Paul turns it into, from the Greek anyway. Um, so who's got that there? 14.15? Yeah, 14.15, Gil. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I'll, I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. And so, we're saved today because of the mercy of God. And then he makes a promise, which we'll find out even the sermon this morning, probably the strongest sermon I've preached on the doctrine of election, sovereignty of God in, in, in probably years coming this morning, but just that, that, that from eternity... <laughs> There is no mercy shown until there is sin. It's all a mystery in the decrees of God. But 
it is we're saved because of God's mercy at the end of the day. Um, and, that, and that's it. And so that should tell us that when Jesus was, He took on flesh, conceived of the Holy Spirit, born, grew up, began His ministry, that it makes sense that we, we would highlight His compassion. And so He does that, I think rightly so. Um, some examples of that. I'm not, we're going to go quickly through this. Matthew 20, two blind men. I tell you what, let's look up a couple of these. Matthew 20, verse, verse 30, and read a few verses there. Someone else look up Mark 1, verse 40. JB, get Mark 1, verse 40. And uh, let's see, pick on somebody back there. McCamey, got your Bible? Uh-oh. Pull it up on your phone real quick. Distressed widow from Luke 7. Luke 7, 12. So, Mark, Matthew 20. Who did I, did I give, did I sign? I didn't. Who's got Matthew 20, verse 30 to 34? I got it. All right, go ahead. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. Some of it might be translated in compassion. So pity, compassion. Mark 1, 40-42. And a leper came to Jesus, pleading with him and falling on his knees before him and saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean. And moved with compassion, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Yeah. And Luke 7, 12 from Cain. When he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said, Do not be. Hmm. He came up and touched the... That's fine. And he had compassion on her. These are just a few examples everywhere we go in the, in the Gospels. We see Jesus doing this over and over and over. And, and the Greek word that, uh, that, that the author here shows, um, that he brings out, is, describes this compassion. It's translated as compassion. But it goes much, much deeper. And the picture is the churning of butter. If you've ever churned butter or seen it done, or actually some of you might have actually done it before. Anybody ever made butter? Jennifer's made butter? Good job, Jennifer. I think Trudy, if she in here, she's over there. Surely Trudy's made butter, but the churning. What? Okay. But... The churning and the work and the churning, that is a picture of the emotional life of Jesus that that word described, that, that it, that behind that word. Now, by implication, we've, we've already talked about this, but I'm getting ready to give an example that he gives from the book. Because Jesus was sinless um, and possessed the perfectly balanced emotions of a sinless, perfect human, his emotions go deeper than ours. And he gives an example. If you remember, he says, I was in India, um, in Bangalore, and I saw a leper. 
And he says, I had, I had some compassion, but I was very, very fearful because it was a leper. I didn't want to touch the leper. And I didn't do much, and I continued on. Well, why? And he says, it was because I'm a sinner, and I, I'm not like Christ in that way as far as being able to not have sin influence. And I think about my own life all the times in Mexico City, particularly, and then in Kenya, where I've just, man, I, I mean, literally thousands of people have walked up to me who have been sick or who have been poor, who have needed money, and, you know, and, and there's a balance there. Uh, you know, we, we don't know the hearts of folks, and, but generally speaking, we should be moved with compassion, but we're not in the way Christ is because we are sinners, Says He says in the book here that Jesus had no fear and no hesitancy and no sinful thoughts got in his way. This means that now, as a human, he is sitting in heaven and he always feels perfectly loving, kind, compassionate towards us. Then he moves on. Second emotion, anger. Question, what would perfect anger look like? How does this emphasis on Christ's heart, His gentle and lowly heart, and his, and just the way He responds in sinlessness, in His anger, well, how does that, that mesh with Him responding in compassion? And what, do you remember what the author says about anger and compassion here? Because Jesus is both compassionate and think about it, as, as deeply compassionate as He is in His feeling about whatever is as deeply... I'm having struggle with saying this right. He is in the same way deeply, perfectly balanced in His anger towards sin towards that which is evil, that which is not good. Jesus is both compassionate and angry. So how do you put them together? Righteous in both emotions. Well, he is righteous in both because he's completely righteous in both. So he can't... We get angry sometimes and lose our heads, but not Christ. Okay. He, he certainly will not, ever. Um, but that's that starts it off. But how do you know? Do you remember? I'm just. I'm going to give you guys a chance because I I can explain this. But how does he put together the anger and the compassion? How does he mesh them together? And it, this is I've never really heard this before, but I, I think he's got a strong case. Especially if we go back to the what's the first thing that happens from the fall? Mercy. So something. There, it's not like God's compassion or mercy is higher than His anger. They're the same. But so, how do you mesh them? How do you get them together? Jesus is both compassionate and angry. Well, He speaks here about um, a perfectly moral being cannot stand evil. Someone who is perfectly moral cannot not react in anger against evil. 
In other words, he can't just stand by. Oh, okay, Adam, you've sinned and you've you've fallen short of my glory. That one sin, even as what's that sermon we heard this past week, Kristen? Stephen Lawson on Romans three. That was probably one of the best sermons I ever heard on, on the doctrine of just the wages of sin is death. And wow, just one sin. And now look what we got. But he is perfectly angry about that in his way as God. Um, and, uh, but he says, you know, since Christ is a moral being, it would be a contradiction if he did not get upset at that which is bad or evil or sin in some way. And, um, and so the world often emphasizes the fact that God is compassionate but leaves out this part. In fact, that's what the world does. Um, we're recipients of the compassion, not the anger, because the anger fell upon Christ, but the, you know, that, that's what the world does. But he says in the book that anger and compassion rise or fall together. He says that a compassionless Christ could never have gotten angry at the injustices all around him. In other words, if he wouldn't have been compassionate, this is where he's he's singling out his compassion. If he weren't compassionate, then he couldn't get angry in the right way. And so you might say, how in the world can you say that? Well, he gives the example of a father who loves his daughter. And when someone abuses his daughter... The anger comes, but along with the anger is the compassion for the daughter who has been mistreated. And because the daughter has been mistreated, the compassion is there, and then the anger comes. Um, And he says because of her compassion, his compassion for his daughter, he is angry. Um, if he had not compassion for his daughter, then he would not be angry. So he says the same, same thing about Jesus. If Jesus had no compassion, then there would be no anger. They stand or fall together. So he gives some examples. First example, Matthew 18.6. I'll just, I'll just describe these. You don't need to read them. But Jesus, in Matthew 18.6, Jesus pronounced some very hard things upon those who cause children to sin. Remember what he says? If you cause one of these little ones to sin, you know, it's better to throw this, put this, wrap this milestone around your neck and throw you in the, in the ocean or in the water. So why is he, why is he angry? Well, there, 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 there's a lot of answers we can give there that would be right. But he focuses on this. He's not angry in and of the sense that he just loves... God loves to torture the wicked. But he's angry because he loves the little children. And he's concerned with them. He has compassion on them. And so he says in the book, it is his heart of love, not a gleeful exacting of justice that rises up from his soul to elicit such a fearsome pronouncement of woe. So that's, a, that's something that I have never thought of. Has anyone ever thought about that before? How these two go together? I haven't. I think it Not helps really. me understand. But I think he's right. I think he's made a strong case for it too. I think he's right. 
Don't we generally battle with that anyway? In what way? In our understanding of who God is? How can he be just? How can he, he be compassionate? How can he have joy when we see, you know, we, we think of how all these things come together and who he is if they're perfect. But from the perspective that you're describing, think, think about it this way, that God's anger is towards the sin. God's anger is towards the, in the case of Lazarus, the sin that caused death. So when that child finally comes to him, uh, uh, Lord, will you heal me? His anger is at the sin that's caused this to happen. His compassion is wanting to draw this person to him. And then when he finally restores this person, the joy that was set before him. How much joy is there in the Creator being able to heal one that He had created that has fallen and walked away to bring them back to 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 mm. to clean to being clean again? I mean, all of this is connected together, and I know in the past I've struggled with, you know, you're talking about God's compassion, God's anger. How, how do they balance? They don't balance. His compassion is complete, and His anger is complete, and His joy is complete. And we see all of the facets through the Gospels of how all of this comes together. Yeah, and I think part of the... Remember, what's the overall umbrella of this book? Gentle and lowly and how Christ reacts, responds to us. So that's what we're, what we're getting at. But let me follow up with that, Greg, with just some more examples that he gives. Another example of how anger and passion fit together. Matthew 23... Woe to you, scribes. Woe to you, Pharisees. The whole chapter is just... It's one of the strongest chapters of just woe upon you for your sin and what you're doing. And for the most part, he's pronouncing these judgments because of what they are causing to happen with true religion. Or they're perverting it. And everybody, he said, you're, you're making them come along with you and you're leading them right to hell. And he's angry about that. But at the same time, it is his concern for those who are mis, whom, whom they are misleading as well. So there's his compassion. There's his angry. I mean, his anger. So those who listen to these leaders are given heavy burdens and hard things to bear their teaching was for selfish gain, but Jesus was the opposite. So he felt compassion for those whom they were leading astray with their teaching. So we see that. Another one. We've already talked about this one a little bit, but the money changers. How does his heart fit with destroying the money, or turning over the money changers, making a whip? The book says here, that he points out in John, that he made the whip himself. His compassion was for those who were coming to the temple to worship and then finding what they were finding. So he was angry at what was going on. He was concerned with the glory of God. It was supposed to be a place of prayer and worship. And what were they making it into? So it kind of goes along with the, with the religious leaders and the, and, the, and the scribes and the Pharisees there. You know, they were a part of all this as well, or allowing it to continue. So the final one was the one that Greg mentioned was the death of Lazarus. Um, he says that uh, the, 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 the word used in that, in, in John 11 there, 
speaking about Jesus' emotion was used twice to show profound fury. Um, Let me read the quote on page 111 about this. Here's how he ties in the heart of Christ. Anger and compassion in the death of Lazarus. Inextinguishable fury seizes upon him. It is death that is the object of his wrath. And behind death, him who has the power of death and whom he has come into the world to destroy. Tears of sympathy may fill his eyes, but this is incidental. His soul is held by rage. The raising of Lazarus thus becomes not an isolated marvel, but a decisive instance, an open symbol of Jesus' conquest of death and hell. So what John does for us here is to uncover for us the heart of Jesus as He wins our salvation. Not in cold unconcern, but in flaming wrath against the foe. Jesus smites in our behalf. He has not only saved us from the evils which oppress us, He has felt for and with us in our oppression and under the impulse of these feelings has wrought out our redemption. Wow, that's quite the statement. So His anger is poured out upon those things which will do us as His children the most harm. So He's concerned for us and He's compassionate for us and at the same time He's anger for those things that will in our lives bring us down. So whatever it is that besets you, um, whatever, whatever it is that comes your way, whatever it is that comes our way in, in this world of sin, Jesus hates that with great anger. But as the book, as we keep going, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For those who are repentant, he is a, I'm getting to the very end here, for those who are repentant, those who come to him, what is Jesus described as? A lamb. But for those who are not repentant, what is he described as? A lion. And so, um, with that, um, we must find comfort that Jesus is alongside of us. He is angry, righteously, alongside of us. And Chris and I talked a bit about what is righteous anger. He doesn't really talk about that. He doesn't move into that. But there is such a thing as righteous anger for us Um, we have to be careful that we I think for the our hearts our sin is still so much a part of you know remaining sin within us that um, uh, you know we we have a hard time distinguishing and and making what's right Um, but Jesus does not he but he's right alongside with us that's all I have. My voice did okay. Hopefully it will do so the next, in the next bit of time. But any comments or questions before we finish and, and pray together? Finding the book? Helpful? If you're not reading it, read it. Really good. Um, every little bit is, just makes you think about what Christ does, who He is for us, um, His heart towards us. And it's... 
You know, I haven't read read too many books about like this, but I think if we were to go back as he's done and read some older books and read some of the Puritans, they flesh this stuff out in much greater ways than than, than he does. So, any comments, questions, thoughts? All right. Before I pray, there's cupcakes. And so when we get out in the hallway, open the door, let the kids come in here and get cupcakes. And uh, if anybody wants to try a spicy radish, I'll be happy to share. um, Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for um, this chapter. Um, It was good for me to study. It was good for us to read. Good for us to hear. I pray that you would help us to understand these things at a deeper level that we might look unto Christ whose heart and his emotions are for us. And it just amazes me that, that, that Christ is not angry with us. Yes, he disciplines. God disciplines, but he is not angry with us because he was angry with his son when he bore our sins on the cross. And that is... It goes way beyond even the depths of what we're talking about um, with compassion and anger. As your anger was poured out upon Christ in our place, we deserved it. And now, all we receive is your compassion. I pray that you would help us today um, as we even move into the next bit of time as we Think about assurance and what is our assurance and what is it grounded on. And uh, we just pray that you give us grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.